Section 20 of The Book of Whales. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Mike Botez. The Book of Whales by Frank Evers Bedard. Chapter 10, Part 1. The Dolphins. Family Delphinidae. The family Delphinidae may be thus defined of small to moderate size, teeth as a rule numerous and in both jaws, anterior ribs five to eight, two headed, posterior with tuberculum only, sternal ribs ossified, palatines meeting for a greater or less extent in the middle line. This family of whales comprises, as the name denotes, those cetacea which are commonly known as dolphins and porpoises. There are no giants among the Delphinidae, save only Orca, the killer whale, which may grow to a length of over 20 feet, but nothing of a colossal size is attained to by any number of the family Delphinidae. The skull of all these whales is characterized by the form of the lacrimal bone, which is not distinct from the malar, and consists of a thicker piece, which ends abruptly in a thin bar of bone articulating behind with a squamosal. This single bone may contain the elements of the two distinct ossifications of other cetacea. The skull is asymmetrical, as in other odontocetes, but there is no such highly raised crest behind the nares as in the ziphides or sperm whales. The synthesis of the mandibles is of limited extent, never exceeding one-third of the ramus. The most salient difference, perhaps, with the delphinida display from most other whales is the presence of numerous functional teeth in both jaws. It is only the primitive platanistidae that show agreement with them in this. In beluga the teeth show a commencing reduction and this culminates in the narwhal, where the well-known tusk only, sometimes double, is left. The vertebral column is often composed of very numerous vertebrae, as many as 90 or so having been recorded. On the other hand, it is by no means infrequently short, so that no family definition can be arrived at from a statement of these numbers. But all dolphins agree in the mode of articulation of the ribs. At first they are double-headed, afterwards the tuberculum only is left. Furthermore, the sternal ribs are ossified. The Delphinidae enumerated in Dr. Gray's catalogues amount to over 100 in number, and even so careful as a worker as Mr. True enumerates and defines no less than 50. Many of these names will, however, ultimately have to be weeded out 
from the list which they encumber. Everyone nowadays will agree with Sir William Flower when he observes that it is necessary to abandon the old assumption upon which so many new species were founded, which limited the area of each species to a small and circumscribed portion of the ocean, and placed imaginary barriers to its distribution where none really existed. It is this perversity which has confounded the whole history of whales, and especially of that family which is now under consideration. Like other animals, too, the dolphins show some alterations in the structure as they pass from immaturity to old age. And these alterations have to be taken very careful account of, as they relate to features which have been made use of for specific and even generic definition by Dr. Gray and others. A number of these anatomical points are brought together by Sir W. Flower in his essay upon the generic subdivisions of the dolphins. In the first place, the length and width of the beak alters with advancing years, and it becomes longer and wider in proportion to the rest of the skull in perfectly adult animals. Another character, which is commonly made use of in the discrimination of species, is the number and size of the teeth. It is, in the first place, hard to count accurately the teeth in a given skull. The smaller ones at the ends of the series are sometimes lost or concealed in the gum. They become larger, too, with growth, and more widely separated, owing to the growth of the beak already referred to. As both the numbers and size of the teeth are used and, in many cases, apparently quite properly used in the discrimination of species, it is desirable to be cautious. In the third place, sexual differences exist, which, if wrongly interpreted, might lead to the placing of the two sexes in different species, when, as has been more than once the case, a species is founded upon a single individual, even upon a single skull or part of a skull. Fourthly, the distribution and depths of the colors of these cetaceans are apt to show differences not merely of age but sheer variations which do not always depend upon differing age the beluga for example gets paler with age the arrangement of the bars of colors upon the common dolphin delphinus delphis seems to differ to a considerable extent these observations obviously apply to other whales besides the Delphinidae, to which they are specifically applied here. Immaturity especially has been made the basis of specific and even generic distinction. But they are particularly applied to the dolphins by Sir W. Flower, since the classification and limits of the species in that group are more difficult owing to their larger numbers. In spite, however, of the numerous points in which variations of sex or age may occur, 
and tend to obscure the possibility of accurately dividing up the family, a considerable number of definite types can be recognized, which may fairly be termed generic. To go further than this is not so easy. The most recent arrangement of the dolphins is that of Mr. True, who attempts to distinguish the species into which the genre allowed by Sir W. Flower can be divided. The admitted genre of dolphins are some 19. This will be allowed here. Seeing that there are so many types to which generic rank should perhaps be allowed, it becomes a matter of importance to inquire how far they can be grouped together, whether, in fact, any practical subdivision of the family into larger divisions than genre can be arrived at. Several authors are in favor of separating the beluga and the narwhal of the north into such a subfamily. There is no doubt that in more than one character these two northern forms approach each other to differ from the remaining forms. The cervical vertebrae are never fused, even in perfectly adult animals, without epiphysis to the vertebrae. In other dolphins, more or fewer are fused. The pterygoid bones are somewhat rudimentary, not having the involuted cavity below, which is the character of other dolphins. These two bones, moreover, are not merely widely separated, which is found in other dolphins, but are bent towards each other posteriorly, and also articulate outwards with the squamosals, as Mr. True has pointed out. This last character is found in Platanista, and it will be borne in mind that the last-mentioned family is characterized, among other facts, by the freedom of the cervical vertebrae. Delphinapterus further agrees with Platanista in having a distinct neck. The reduction of the teeth culminating in monodon is, however, met with in Grampus and Globicephalus. Finally, a larger number of ribs, eight, than in any others, seven at most, have both capitulum and tuberculum. In the following account of the dolphins, I shall for the most part admit Mr. True's species, and of course species subsequently described where there are salient characters, color, exact number of teeth, phalanges and vertebrae are so liable to variation and to wrong enumeration, owing to defective skeletons, that great care will have to be exercised. We will commence with the genus Delphinapterus, which has eight to ten teeth of moderate size occupying anterior part of jaws only. Vertebrae C7, D11, L9, CA23 equals 50. All cervicals are free, 
Eight first ribs two-headed. Four reach the sternum. Pterygoids widely apart, converging towards extremity but not meeting. Phalanges. One, one. Two, six, seven. Three, four to five. Four, three to four. Five, three to four. In embryo, three, nine, seven, six, six. No dorsal fin. No hairs on the face. Both Sir W. Flower and Mr. True concur in allowing but one species of white whale, which will therefore have the following synonymi Delphinapterus leucas, Pallas, Delphinapterus beluga, Laceped, Delphinus albicans, Fabricius, Beluga catodon, Gray, Catodon sibaldi, Fleming, Beluga borealis, Lesson, Delphinus canadensis, Desmarais, D. kingi, Gray, B. rhinodon, Cope, B. declivis, Cope, B. augustata, Cope. B. Concreta. Cope. The white whale is entirely northern in range. The alleged species D. kingi was asserted to come from the Australian shores, but the locality requires confirmation. It is so exclusively Arctic in range that there are but a few certain records of the occurrence of this species on the shores of England, though several specimens have been recorded from Scotland, and the species occurs off the eastern coasts of North America. It reaches a length of 16 to 20 feet. This whale is remarkable for its white color. Its name, Beluga, from the Russian, signifies white, which is, however, only characteristic of the full-grown animals. The young is blackish, the older whale is mottled, and finally a yellowish hue is arrived at, which is gradually blanched to pure white. Though the whale is marine, it will ascend rivers, mainly, it is said, in pursuit of salmon. It has been said to ascend the Yukon River for a distance of 700 miles. The name Delphinapterus, applied to this whale, signifies the peculiarity of the absence of the dorsal fin, in which it resembles its undoubted ally, the narwhal, and the more distant Neomeris. It is a singular fact that these whales, unlike many cetacea, have a distinct voice, and their vocal capabilities have earned for them the name of sea canary. The beluga lives in companies. They feed upon fish, cephalopods, and crustacea. 
These they pursue at great depths in the ocean. It is said that the sand which is sometimes found in the stomach is used as ballast to enable the creature to remain below water with greater facility. But as already mentioned in the case of the Balenoptera rostrata, it seems much more likely that the sand is engulfed accidentally along with their prey. The various aliases of the one polar white whale are partly due to the occasional fusion of the cervical vertebrae, the presence of an additional rib, and a few other points, which are really within the limits of individual variation. The beluga has a very distinct neck, a rarity among whales, but a character of platanista and inia, to which genre indeed the freedom from each other of the cervical vertebrae give it an additional resemblance. A curious error, but made in good faith, was perpetrated in 1748 with regard to the systematic position of this white fish. Anderson described a specimen which had lost the teeth of the upper jaw and was in consequence only dented below as a white cachalot. Lacepede added, apparently solely for the sake of a better filled page, on ne put guère douter que c'est assez ne fournissait de l'adipocir et put être dont il aussi de l'ambre gris. It seems a belated procedure to attack Lacepede, but he has acquired so big a reputation as an historian of the Cetacea that it is perhaps permissible to quote M. Fisher's remark that the scientific element is not conspicuous in his book. The narwhal genus Monodon is extremely very unlike the last genus, though they possess many structural points in common. It has but one tooth, rarely two, in maxilla, which has the form of a long tusk. In female, this is rudimentary. Vertebrae C7 D11 L6 CA26 equals 50 8 ribs, 2-headed 4 reach to sternum Pterygoids as in Delphinapterus No dorsal fin, no hairs Phalanges 1, 2 2, 6, 3, 5, 4, 3, 5, 3. Embryo, 2, 9, 7, 5, 4. This genus is obviously characterized by the singular spirally twisted tusk of the male, which is simply an abnormally enlarged maxillary tooth. Occasionally, two teeth are fully developed, one in each jaw. There is a skeleton in the British Museum which shows this peculiarity. That skeleton has also a small twelfth rib in addition to the normal eleven. Of these ribs, 
the first eight are double-headed. The same is the case in the Beluga, and, as also in the last-mentioned genus, four sternal ribs exist. Though the narwhal has no dorsal fin, there is a raised ridge along the back an inch in height. There is but one species, Monodon monoceros, Linnaeus. M. microcephalus, Demare. M. andersonianus, I.D. Narwhalus vulgaris, Laceped. Tachinises megacephalus, Drukes. Are some of the synonyms which really all refer to the one species. The narwhal or sea unicorn, mighty monoceros, with immeasured tails, is a whale familiar to everybody, at least by name and appearance, as depicted in pictures. The creature grows to a length of about 15 feet. Such an individual would have a horn of some seven feet. But the length, as with other whales, has been grossly exaggerated. Sixty feet. The color is darker above, paler below, both tints speckled in a leopardine fashion. But old animals seem to lose this character and to become quite white. It is a purely arctic animal and Mr. Lydica records only three examples thrown up on our shores. Another, however, has been since recorded by Mr. Christie. The task of the narwhal, Van Beneden tells us, was at first, and after all naturally, thought to belong to a terrestrial creature. It is from this idea that the notion of the unicorn with the form of a horse has doubtless sprung. So lately as 1655, however, Wormius announced the real nature of this apparent freak of nature. The use of the horn or tusk to its possessor has been much discussed. As it is a sexual character, the most obvious use would seem to be in the battles of the males with the toothless females. Scoresby observed that shoals of these animals often consisted entirely of males. These animals played with their horns, crossing them with each other as in fencing. This is, of course, comparable to the use of other weapons in play by other animals, such as the teeth of young dogs, the claws of the cat, etc., etc. Another suggestion is that the long and strong weapon is useful for the purpose of breaking the thick ice of the polar regions so that the whale can rise and breathe. A third suggestion is also due to Scoresby. He captured and dissected a narwhal which had in his stomach, beside beaks and cuttlefish, so common a food of whales, a large skate. Now, an active skate, which moreover had a diameter greater than that of the whale's mouth, could hardly, thought Scoresby, 
have been caught alive by its devourer. He suggests, indeed, that with this tusk the skate was first pierced and killed, and then swallowed. An elaboration of this story is to be found in writings earlier than the two books of Scoresby. La Cepede, quoting from others, credits the narwhal with a more ingenious use of the tusk. The animal threads its prey up on the tusk and gradually works it down like a conjurer with a ball upon a string until the fish can be seized with its lips and swallowed. These three views are presented for the consideration of the reader. As to uses with which their possessor has no concern, the tusk was employed in Europe in the past and in China today as a drug. At Rosenborg is a throne entirely made of those tusks, and Captain Scoresby, Mr. R. Brown tells us, had a bed made from the same material. The genus Fosena, true porpoises, have the teeth 16 to 26 in number, their crowns compressed, lobed, pterygoids slightly developed and far apart, premaxillae with bosses in front of nares, vertebrae 64 to 98 in number, phalanges 1, 2 to 3, 2, 7 to 10, 3, 6 to 8, 4, 3 to 5, 5, 1 to 3, dorsal fin with a row of tubercles along its posterior margin. Of well-established species, there would seem to be three, which are the following. Phocena communis, lesson. The common porpoise may be thus distinguished from other members of the genus Phocena. Length, five and a half feet. No beak. Dorsal fin, triangular. Anterior margin, straight. Pectoral fins, ovate. Teeth, 26. Vertebrae, C7. D12, 13, 14. L, 14, 15. CA, 30 to 33, equals 64 to 68. First, six cervicals, fused. Young, with two to four hairs. The common porpoise is a northern form, being found in both Atlantic and Pacific. It reaches a length of five to six feet and is generally blackish, but whiter on the belly. The name of this dolphin has been variously given as porcpice, porpoise, 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 and porpoise. The meaning of the word being especially plain from the first instance, it is, of course, big fish. A suggestion of the ungulate affinities of whales, which has been commended by naturalists. 
It is a gregarious whale and often ascends rivers. It has been met with in the Seine, at Paris, for example. It is the commonest species of our seas. The porpoise was once esteemed a delicacy in this country, as are other cetaceans in other lands at the present day. It formed a royal dish even so recently as the times of Henry VIII. The sauce recommended by Dr. Caius for this fish was made of crumbs of fine bread, vinegar and sugar. Considered to be a fish, it was allowed to be eaten on fast days. The porpoise, like the stormy petrel, has had the reputation of presaging foul weather. Wilsford, I quote from Bacon, in Nature's Secrets, remarks, Porpoises or sea hogs, when observed to sport and chase one another about ships, expect than some stormy weather. To the same effect writes Ravenscroft in Canterbury Guests or A Bargain Broke, My Heart Begins to Leap and Play Like a Porpoise Before a Storm. The French word marsouin, applied to the porpoise, is said to be derived from a corruption of the German Merschwein but Scaliger's derivation from Marinum Suem seems to be more likely. Fossena tuberculifera was founded by Dr. Gray upon an example which was exhibited for a short time in the Zoological Society's garden. In this individual, the doctor noticed the spiny margin to the fin which has frequently escaped notice in other porpoises, and hence thought that there were two species, one with and one without these spines. It is held by Mr. True that P. brachysium, P. vomerina, and P. lineata, all named by the late Professor Cope, are at most varieties of the common porpoise. But Fosena spinipinis of Burmeister is distinct. It has a length of 5 feet and 4 inches, slight beak, dorsal fin narrow, low, with concave anterior margin, pectoral fins falcate, end of body ridged above and below, teeth 16. This porpoise seems to be quite distinct. The specimen upon which the description of Bormeister was based was captured near the mouth of the Rio de la Plata. It is entirely black, but the most remarkable character which distinguishes it from P. communis and at the same time allies it to the next species is the existence of a long, low ridge on both sides of the body near to the tail. This seems to be a survival of the low dorsal ridge of the embryo. See page 14. And the existence of the two ridges gives some color to older assertions that whales may possess two dorsal fins and an anal fin like the fish. 
The tubercles on the fin, as well as the peculiar shape of the latter, distinguish the species. They are more numerous and in more rows on the back as well as on the fin itself. Fosena dali, true, is thus defined. Length, 6 feet, no beak. Dorsal fin, high and falcate. Pectorals, oval. Body, ridged above and below, at end. Teeth, 23 to 27. Vertebrae, C7, D14, 15, L27, CA, 49, equals 97 or 98. The most salient difference of this from P. communis is the extraordinarily long vertebral column formed mainly by the large development of the lumbar region. All the cervicals are united. It is a Pacific species. End of section 20. Recording by Mike Botez.